covering all aspects of Milwaukee Brewers baseball. It's time for Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast. Here is your host, Matt Pauley. It is time for another edition of Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast powered by WTMJ Mobile. My name is Matt Pauley. Great to have you with us as we are into the month of August, now about two months left in the regular season. The Brewers continue to be in very, very, very good position. Haven't locked up anything yet. I'll continue to repeat that over and over and over. But there's nothing wrong with saying that they have uh, positioned themselves pretty well for these uh, final two months if they can continue to play some uh, pretty good baseball. we got a lot to talk about. First podcast uh, since the trade deadline. We'll get into that. And uh, obviously just to talk about uh, this last week's worth of baseball, which has been, for the most part, pretty darn good before we go any further you know what we do housekeeping items oh baby uh if you want to get in contact with me on twitter is the best way at matt Pauley on air m-a-t-t-p-a-u-l-e-y on air and if you do listen to the podcast on apple podcast i want to leave a ranking and review and subscribe that would be awesome so the brewers have a very solid week uh they take out the pittsburgh pirates in what was a mostly non-competitive series, if we're being uh, if we're being honest, and if, if I wanted to be mean, I could I could say stronger words, but mostly non-competitive is the word we would go with, where they win nine nothing, seven three, and twelve uh, nothing. That is a that's a good few days' work right there in Pittsburgh. Then they go into Atlanta, three very different type of games. Uh, what turned into kind of an easy win on Friday night, nine five a game that was really tight, Uh, an umpire gets involved, and then all of a sudden things kind of uh, go in the wrong direction for the Brewers. They lose 8-1. And then a hard-fought, close 2-1 victory on Sunday. And frankly, the Brewers haven't played a lot of those games. The... The you know the score low the uh, the very tight sort of games those just are not games that they've played a lot of they've scored a ton of runs since the All Star break it was the first opportunity for Josh Hader to have a save situation a save opportunity for him since uh, before the All Star break which is remarkable manager Craig Council in his post game comments on Sunday even kind of joked about how that doesn't really feel like the Brewers of old where there's a lot of you know, close and late type of situations. Well, the Brewers finally got one, and they were able to come away with the win. And it was just a good feeling watching Brad Boxberger, Devin Williams, and Josh Hader go out there and um, be able to to close it down. Now, it wasn't easy by any stretch of the minds. As uh, you saw, Boxberger work himself into a little bit of trouble. You saw Williams work himself into a little bit of trouble, but they worked it out and uh, they come away with the win. And now they are going to head uh, back home, and they've got uh, two very different looking series coming up. First, they're going to play Pittsburgh again, and then they've got uh, San Francisco coming in after that. A very good San Francisco team, and the Brewers, of course, have been very good against the National League West so far this year, and they will try to do that again when the Giants uh, come to town coming up later on this weekend. Trade deadline also uh, this past week. The Brewers make three moves. They acquire Eduardo Escobar from the Arizona Diamondbacks. Uh, They acquire Daniel Norris, a left-handed relief pitcher from the Detroit Tigers. They acquire John Curtis, a right-handed relief pitcher from the Miami Marlins. They give prospects back. The most notable prospect that they give back was in the Curtis deal. They've got some club control on Curtis, so this is not a rental type situation for him. And uh, with that, they had to give away uh, catcher Peyton Henry. And 
he's he's going to be a major league catcher. That is uh, that is a, a a fairly steep price to pay. Um, but at, at the same time, the Brewers are pretty loaded at the uh, catcher's position in the minor leagues, and uh, they are going to be uh, probably okay there. But you use. You use your prospect capital to try to shore things up. And Curtis had a little bit of a rough start uh, in his first two outings. He had a, a tough day his first day, gives up an inherited run in his uh, second performance. But if nothing else, I thought the key word that uh, – and David Stern said this more after the Escobar trade, but I think in a way you can apply it to the relief pitchers that come in. Uh, Stern's talked a lot about redundancy. Uh, that was a word he used over and over uh, after the, when speaking about the Eduardo Escobar trade. And what redundancy basically means is you've got multiple players for just about every position. So the idea being, if someone goes down, you've got somebody who can step in. You can call it protection. That's probably a word that we use more often than redundancy. But I, I, I like redundancy. We can go with that. And that's... With no August deadline anymore, you don't really have the opportunity to try to shore up your roster with one of those August waiver deals. So you do want as much redundancy as possible so you are covered for just about any type of situation that might come your way. Stearns actually said that he would like to see the Major League Baseball trade deadline push back to mid-August. I would like that. I would like the August trade deadline to return. I always like the waiver trade deadline. Um, and it's been good to the Brewers. They've had some good players who have come in on the waiver trade deadline. So I, I would rather them go back to the two-deadline system. But even if you don't do that, uh, pushing back the, the standard trade deadline a couple weeks to August 15th probably would not be the worst idea in the world, which means it'll probably never happen because Major League Baseball is not exactly fantastic when it comes to uh, finding a way to uh, to make good decisions. But the Escobar deal, you, you had some power to the lineup. You, you had a switch hitter. Uh, Brewers, you know, one of the few problems that the Brewers do have, they're not especially good in games against left-handed starters. So you, if you can add a little bit more punch to the lineup against lefties, that would certainly be something that could help. Not the, you know, if you if you're either not going to be good against lefties or not being good against righties, you'll take lefties because you face righties more often than you face lefties. But it's still it's potentially a problem and something that uh, you don't want that to be the reason that maybe some type of postseason run ends up uh, coming to an end. So good to see that. He's going to play first base. He looked okay in his first game at first base, had a good pick. Uh, There was the play that uh, resulted where Adamas threw a little bit wide. Uh, The good part of that play was uh, he uh, doesn't let the ball get away from first base, so he kind of limits the damage. But at the same time, it's probably a play that – more well-versed first baseman probably make. They're able to complete it, so there's some good parts to it and some bad parts about it. He's going to be fine at first, and I don't say that about anybody. I want to be really clear on that. I don't think first base is an easy position to play. In fact, if you listen to my post-game show, Brewers Extra Innings, not the podcast, same name. This is exclusively the podcast. That's the radio post-game show. But we've got a guy who texts in uh, every day, every day, his name is Doug. Not Doug and Baraboo. Doug calls in with the occasional text. This is just Doug. I don't know where Doug lives. And Doug's big thing is that he thinks Tyrone Taylor should start playing some first base. And I disagree. I don't. I, there's nothing to say that you could take a Tyrone Taylor and make him a first baseman. Um, 
where there is something. So I'm not one of those people. When everybody was clamoring for Ryan Braun to play first base, and admittedly, Braun did eventually go and play first base, I was never on the Ryan Braun can play first base train. And actually, him playing first base actually makes a little bit more sense because he did have some corner infield experience having spent some time uh, at, at third base early on. There's, there's some nuance to playing first base that's going to take Escobar some time. And you don't even know if you've got enough time this year for him to pick all that stuff up. The footwork, just kind of knowing when you pursue, when you retreat, all the different things that you need to do at first base. At the same time, he's a guy who plays a ton of positions. He's played third. He can play up the middle. There, His skill set would tell you that he's going to be able to play first base and do it at least respectably, and that's going to give you an opportunity to get him into the lineup that much more, especially you would think that he's going to be your first baseman against left-handed starters more often than not. So the Escobar trade, I love that trade. I think it makes the team better in so many ways. I'm glad the Brewers brought in some some relief pitching with a little bit more experience. I think Miguel Sanchez have done, has done an incredible job. I think Jake Cousins has been really, really good. I think John Gustave, and Gustave's got a little bit of big league time a few years ago. He's not a kind of a young, inexperienced guy uh, like a Sanchez, like a Cousins, but he doesn't have a ton of big league experience. He's just been around for a while. I think they've done a really nice job. At the same time, you, know, you go back to redundancy, right? That was a word that we used earlier. If, if all of a sudden the film finally gets out on, on some of those guys and they start to get figured out or they you know, they, they hit some sort of slump, whatever it might be, you've got a little bit of protection now in the bullpen bringing in uh, these guys with a bit more of a track record. And that's a good thing. That's a good thing. I feel better about the bullpen with those players in the organization. It felt like the Brewers had pushed their bullpen depth about as far as they could possibly push it. And... It came at a good time because Cousins and Hunter Strickland each tested positive for COVID-19, so they're going to be out for 10 days before they come back. And once they come back, uh, we'll see how long it is until, you know, do they go on a, a rehab assignment to get some work in, something like that. That's a that's a possibility. If you didn't catch this, by the way, I, I kind of chuckled on this. If you did not catch this, um, you they because they're in quarantine and they the team was in Atlanta, they can't travel back with the team. They're in quarantine. So Strickland is from that area. His off-season home is near Atlanta. So he was just going to go home for those 10 days. Well, then that leaves Cousins. Cousins evidently is just going to go with him. So uh, Hunter Strickland is going to have a house guest for the next week and a half as they, well, they'll get the opportunity to, uh, to quarantine together. The team that quarantines together stays together. Is that is that how it works? I don't, I don't know. But that's uh, I, I do find that kind of uh, a little bit funny. Overall, I mean, what, what do you say about this team? They're just continuing to play good baseball. They lead the division by seven games. That's, that is not an insurmountable lead. The Cincinnati Reds continue to play very good baseball. I give – I. I still have a hard time believing in the Reds. I just—that's just me. Uh, I've never be- really had a had a strong belief in them. But you can't you can't deny the results, right? They just keep winning baseball games, and you give them credit. All of a sudden, if if you know, this is not to say the Brewers have anything locked up. They don't. But right now, 
it's not really the Brewers that need to be worried about the Cincinnati Reds. It's the San Diego Padres that need to be worried about the Cincinnati Reds. Um, the Reds are four games back of the Padres for that second wild card. And the Padres are, are they're scuffling a little bit. I mean, they're 5-5 five and five in their last 10. That's not horrible. Uh, but they, they just lost uh, Fernando Tatis for who knows how, how long as he once again has that same shoulder issue. He said day after uh, this time that it felt a little bit worse than last time it happened. Last time it happened, he was back uh, in the minimum amount of time that he had spent on the injured list. Uh, if the pain being a little bit more is any indication of uh, that it might take a little bit longer, well then, yeah, you know, it might take a little longer. But that's the the Padres need to be worried. That the wild card race, I think, is going to tighten up a little bit. Uh, the Reds are four back. Even the Cardinals are six and a half back. And you know, Jack Flaherty is really, really close to returning. We've seen the Cardinals. We we know what the Cardinals tend to do. So they could they could go on the run. Um, Phillies are seven and a half back. I don't really, I don't know. I don't know if I buy the Phillies, but I do. I don't think the Padres just automatically have that second wild card locked in by any stretch of the mind. And the Brewers don't have the division locked in right now. Um, they, they've still got to continue to go out and play well and win games. They are in a really good spot. Uh, they're in a position where if they do slump a little bit, if they have a bad series, a bad week, uh, they'll probably be able to survive that. They're not at a point where they can probably survive a bad month. You know that that that's where they've bought themselves a bad week. They probably haven't bought themselves uh, a bad month. Just the way that Cincinnati is playing at this point in time, and the two teams do still have one series against each other. It's going to be uh, in Milwaukee coming up towards the end of August, uh, the final full week in August. What is that? The twenty fourth, twenty fifth, and twenty sixth. If you remember, the Brewers have been much better against the Reds on the road than they've been at home. You don't know if you take anything away from that. So, yeah, I mean, this thing is not all locked up yet. But the Brewers, again, have put themselves in a, a very, very, very good spot, all things considered. All right, our featured guest this week is uh, Tim Muma, Brew Crew Ball contributor, good baseball guy, guy I enjoy being able to talk to. So let's go ahead and get to uh, this week's featured conversation. After every Brewers game, signing an announcement, bloggers and podcasters hit the web to give their take. Now we bring them all together. It's the Social Media Roundtable, and it starts now. Brewers X Reading the podcast is powered by WTMJ Mobile. We're very happy to be able to welcome back, uh, welcome back onto the program. Excuse me. Uh, he is uh, Tim Muma. He is a contributor at uh, Brew Crew Ball, a guy who just knows his baseball, and I enjoy talking Brewers baseball with him. Follow him on Twitter at Tim underscore Muma. That's M-U-M-A. Hey, Tim, how are you? Hey, man, how are you doing today? I am good. Uh, Brewers are playing some pretty good baseball. They continue to have a substantial lead uh, in the division. They had an interesting uh, trade deadline, so certainly a lot to get into. Let's start with that. This is our first podcast uh, since the trade deadline, and the trade deadline saw them acquire three players, most notably Eduardo Escobar, who can play third. They're putting him at first a little bit. He can play second. He can play in the outfield, and then they bring in a, a couple relief pitchers as well. In, in John uh, John Curtis and Daniel Norris, I guess from a very general standpoint, and we'll lock in a little bit more after that. But what's your general feeling about uh, the job that David Stearns and Matt Arnold did uh, at the trade deadline? Yeah, I think with the Escobar one, that really kind of covered their bases, especially on all the people talking about it with no uh, waiver trade deadline. Um, just being able to essentially cover your whole infield, you mentioned really the outfield as well with one guy, um, and just making sure that. 
you know, if some bad injury happen, and you're just going to make sure that you're covered for the next couple of months. Um, beyond that, with the you know, with a couple of relievers, I think it's kind of a typical Stearns deadline, uh, a little bit under the radar. Of course, we always hope we're going to make some big kind of big splash. Not that we really expect it, but, um, you know, their team is so well set, and obviously they've been playing so well, as you mentioned. It really was going to be a thing about, uh, you know, just filling little holes, maybe trying to uh, – find where you can improve on the margins a little bit. And, you know, again, you never know if it's true, but you did see some some word come out that they were checking in on some of the bigger names and just the prices were going to be too high for them in terms of prospects. But overall, I think an, you know, another underrated but uh, solid trade deadline for Stearns and company. Yeah, and, I mean, it feels like they did what they needed to do. When Stearns right. was talking about the Escobar deal, he kept using the word redundancy. Really, when he's saying redundancy, it's kind of what you alluded to. It's it's protection. You can more withstand an injury at some of those spots. And you know, Colton Wong's had a few stints on on the injured list this yep. year. We've um, you still don't know what's going to happen at first base. It's been fun to see Rowdy Telez over the last couple weeks, but there's a lot of guys who have had a really good two weeks in Major League Baseball and hasn't done much more than that Lorenzo Cain has spent some time on the injured list like that and I I don't know if you realize this I I didn't realize it until we're talking on Sunday um you would think that with the amount of games that the Brewers have lost due to the due to injuries this year that they would be among the league leaders in games lost they're number 11 they're they're not even in the top third and I wouldn't have thought that. Yeah. yeah, it's 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 incredible that that's the case. Now I'm sure they were they've been relatively healthy here for the last uh, few weeks. So I'm sure their number was a bit higher before. Uh, but what that what that tells you is that this is a year of injuries. And even if it's not one of the guys that we just mentioned, it feels like the possibility of an injury is almost more likely this year than 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 other years. Do you kind of agree with that? I think, yeah, I mean, to your point, you were pointing that out uh, with the Brewers, I would have thought they were definitely top five, top six. Uh, but that's true. You see it all over the league. Uh, and, I, you know, I think everyone knows it's a combination of factors between, you know, last year just being that strange year and not having really the full off season, guys being prepared the last couple of years, really. And, yeah, I mean, especially with the Brewers club, you mentioned Wong. He had his little issues here or there. I mean, I think of a guy like, uh, like Urias, you know, he hasn't played a full season at the big league level. If he wear down, does he get, you know, some nagging injuries, that kind of thing? We know in the outfield with Kane and Yellick having, uh, you know, their own issues or, or age related. So I, I completely agree that it's, you know, if you want to call it the year of the injury or how you want to phrase that, it's something that teams have had to deal with across the league. And it's obviously only going to become more of an issue and, and be, more impactful as you get to the final two months of the year where you don't want to be trying to call up a bunch of inexperienced guys or, you know, 4A kind of players to try to help you in the stretch run or even in the playoffs. So, um, you know, I guess from that point of view, maybe you would think that teams would try to even grab a, another guy or two for depth purposes. Of course, then you get into the 40-man crunch. And uh, so there's a lot of factors that go into that. So, again, I know we touched on it already a couple times, but with Escobar just being able to, essentially be the backup to just about everyone on the diamond. Um, he acts like, uh, you know, like you added one or two, there are a mm-hmm. couple more guys to that, uh, to that depth spot. So, you know, knock on wood for the most part, the Brewers stay healthier when they do have those injuries. It's, it's for shorter stints and, and then, uh, you know, council and his staff, they know how to rotate those guys in, keep them healthy, keep them fresh. And, um, you know, hopefully that, uh, the experience they've had over the last, you know, three, four years of being able to do that with their teams and be so successful, 
at the end of the year, uh, just continue here in 2021. One more thing that's kind of weird on, on those numbers that we're looking at. Some of the teams that are, are among the league leaders in the top uh, 10%, the Dodgers, the Mets, the Giants, the Padres. So in a normal year, if you are one of the league leaders in games missed due to injuries, more often than not, that's going to mean you're probably not having a great season. Here you've got a year where some of the best of the best teams are the teams that have missed the most games due to injuries. It's a very weird thing. Yeah, you know, the Dodgers and Padres, uh, not terribly surprising because you knew they were going to have depth and that they had a lot of guys to, to play off of. The Dodgers especially, as we know, it's, you know, the value of having a high payroll and spending whatever money you want isn't just getting in free agents and keeping your own guys, but it's, it's being able to just stockpile and load all these, uh, all these different players that you can plug in they can still be successful and then really not worry about it too much. But yeah, that is, that is kind of a fascinating thing. I, I mean, that might be something that people look back on after this year and want to do more of a deeper dive and figure out how these teams remain so successful despite the fact that they have these injuries. And, you know, the Brewers, of course, you can point to the, the top three guys in the rotation especially. I mean, they've been healthy, and when you have those guys, you know, pitching three out of every five or six days or so, uh, that can cover up a lot of those issues, and you can win a game like they did today, uh, you know, two to one, uh, and then other days you can let your offense pick you up. So it, it definitely has been a, a different year from that perspective, but in a lot of ways it at least felt like a normal baseball season with the fans back in the stands and uh, you know hopefully these next few months we can get through before anything else changes too much yeah that's definitely true uh and, and not to spend too much time looking to the future but uh, since we're kind of on it i, I i'm going to be really curious to see so you know like this year the brewers go to the the six day rotation which more often than not mm-hmm. is a six man rotation but if there's some off days it, it's more of a, a six day rotation we saw that with some piggybacks here recently um but Starting pitchers have been able to go deeper into games this year. I, I'm just, I wonder, you know, they do it this year as a way to limit innings and because you're going from 60 to 162. I just wonder if going into next year, even when it's going from 162 to 162, if there's not conversations about kind of sticking with the idea of the six day rotation because what it allows you to do from a length perspective for starters. Yeah, I think there's a couple of factors with that, even for this year, um, even thinking of especially Burns and Peralta, if you're looking at the Brewers side of things, you're anticipating, you know, again, getting to the postseason and nothing is guaranteed, and I try to remind people of that. Things can change in a hurry, but if you're looking at that, you know, you want to at least, you don't want to go too far over what, what would be their, uh, you know, previous highs as far as innings. Uh, I think it gets overblown a little bit. I think the Brewers in general do a good job with managing that stuff and, um, you know, managing the load on their arms. Um, so I do think that's part of them utilizing it this year as well, is it gets them those little breaks, it, it gets them an extra day or two um, as far as rest. I and mean, you, you mentioned the, the piggyback with Peralta and Hauser, um, just so he's kind of easing back after the All-Star break. So if the Brewers do, you know, hopefully make a postseason run, and especially if they get to the NLCS into the World Series, then when you look at the next year, a lot of times you see teams struggle with that with their pitchers because, now they've thrown a ton more innings than before when you throw in the uh, the postseason, and they have less rest before they come back and start up again in spring training in the regular season. So I think it's something the, the Brewers, you know, they're always going to be monitoring, and, and they'll also build their roster around the idea that, hey, we might need to give our guys uh, some extra rest here, especially in the early months um, and throughout the course of the season, just to make sure we're not blowing out arms, we're not losing a guy for a year. I mean, 
pitchers, you know, they're always at a risk. We know that their next pitch could be their last pitch for a year. You don't, you don't know how it's going to play out. But I think, you know, when you look around the organization and how the Brewers have handled it so far, um, you know, they seem relatively uh, strong in that department, especially with their top three guys in rotation. They've been doing what they can to make sure they stay fresh. And they're still going to hit bumps in the road, bumps in the road. But uh, you just, again, hope they can avoid any longer stints and, um I think the way Council and his staff have, have done it, uh, there's, there's no reason to think they wouldn't continue to do it next year if, if they feel that's something that they need to go through. This is also a really good example of how getting out to a lead in the division can help you. And you've alluded to it. There, there's no guarantee that they're going to be a postseason team, but they're obviously in a really good position right now. And it would take yep. it would take a, it would, if they don't make it to the postseason, if they if they don't win the division this year. We're going to call it a collapse. At this point, when you're seven up in the month of August, it's a collapse if you don't get into uh, if you don't get into the postseason. I think that's fair. So they can they can play in a way that yes, they still want to win games, they still want to win the division, they still want to put themselves in best position as possible. But there's not there's not this urgency or this desperation to kind of do crazy things. In St. Louis, for example. Uh, they've they've had kind of the same number of off days as the Brewers. They went to a four man rotation, and because right. they're they're trying to make up ground. So I, I don't think the Cardinals are going to be a playoff team this year. But let's say they are. Let's say they hunt down San Diego and get that second wild card spot. All of a sudden, you're going to have a starting rotation in St. Louis, um, where a bunch of your guys, everybody except Jack Flaherty, has been injured, was was pitching a lot more innings than guys on other teams. So it's just that's a that's an example of how having the lead in the division at this point in time allows you to do things to really set yourself up for the postseason. Yeah, and I think a lot of people don't necessarily think about it that way. And, and of course, fans in general, you know, they're just looking to win the game that day. Uh, but management and, and the staff, they're obviously looking at the bigger picture. And, and to your point, not just the bigger picture, making sure guys stay healthy, but that they can set things up. They can get them rest down the stretch, and whether it's the pitching as well as position players, you know, just picking and choosing them to have those off days and not panicking about, well, we have to win this game or we have to win the series. Like you said, uh, that just puts you in a much better situation where you're not forcing the issue. You're not putting guys out there who have little tweaks. You know, put a guy in a ten day or you know fifteen day IL, whatever you need to do there. Um, and, I, you know, it's one of those things where everybody talks about the end of the season, you know, the, the wins that are most important. I, I've always kind of felt the opposite. I mean, you can't put all your chips in in April and May, but um, for the reason you're mentioning and also for the idea that we just passed the trade deadline, if, if you have a really bad first half, you might have a different strategy for the trade deadline. So if you start off well, like the Brewers did, now it's twofold. You add the deadline instead of looking to sell off, and to your point, you can really kind of map out what your plan is, play it really week to week instead of worrying about day to day. And, and again, hopefully that means the Brewers are set up really well, uh, assuming they get into the postseason. And not only being able to set up who you want to start and when, but knowing that, that they're going to have a, you know, a pretty comfortable idea of you know, what they can do as far as um, that, that load management that everybody likes to talk about. So I think it's a great point that you bring up, that it, it allows the Brewers to really dictate what they want to do and not have to play panic mode, not have to play catch-up mode. And um, I think that is a big advantage, or it could be, uh, you know, especially compared to the teams in the NLS who, in theory, are going to be fighting it out to the bitter end because nobody wants to end up in that wild card game. I don't, again, I'm not trying to look too far ahead, and we will bounce back to what's actually happening right now. So if if things stay the way they are right now, and if neither the Reds yep. or the Cardinals catch the Padres, and one of those West teams wins the West, and then the 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 wild card round is the two teams from the West. 
I would make the argument that being the two seed in the National League is actually an advantage because then you avoid playing one of those teams from the West in the divisional series. Yeah, man, that's so tough. And I, I've gone back and forth on it right because I've seen the same conversations. And, you know, obviously there's a, an advantage to being the one seed in that you then play the winner of the wild card who, in theory, use their best pitcher already. Uh, so that does give you a little bit of an edge there. And let's not forget, I mean, okay, let's say it's the Mets that win it. If the ground's healthy, that's not exactly an easy game one start either. Um, and, of course, the Brewers will counter with any one of their three guys. You know, I guess I've learned, and I haven't coached, obviously, at any major league level, but just even the, the, the amateur levels I've been able to coach at is sometimes worrying about that stuff puts you in a, I don't know, a bad frame of mind where you think it's the best situation for you and you get that, and then, I don't know, it doesn't work out. So a lot of times... I just feel like it's best just take care of what you need to take care of, what you can control. You obviously don't. I don't think you want to go into the last weekend of the of the se- of the uh, season thinking, well, you know, it kind of be nice if we lose a game here and we figure out, you know, that we get this team instead of that one. Um, you know, obviously as fans, we can think about what might be the best best matchups, but I don't know. I guess I would just more than anything, I just want to see the Brewers, you know, playing well, have the rotation set up, and whoever they face, they face because after this trade deadline, you know, you got. Obviously, now you got Scherzer in L.A., and uh, you know what San Diego has. The Giants continue to just keep winning, so I think we have to take them seriously. No matter what, you have to be able to uh, beat one or two of those teams to get to the World Series. And, um, you know, well, I guess however it plays out, plays out. I know that's probably a boring answer, but uh, anybody you play, there's going to be that firepower. And, um, you know, I'd like to think that maybe the other teams feel that way about the Brewers, especially facing those top three guys in rotation. Yeah, and it's a it's – a- Good common sense kind of answer from you, and I appreciate that. Uh, what, where, for where the team is at right now? What's your biggest concern? I still worry about first base and just the consistent, uh, you know, bat and, and pop from the right side. Again, we, we talked about Escobar and what he brings to the table. You know, I just uh, Tolez has had a nice little hot streak. He's actually been uh, a little bit smoother at first than I. You know, knew that he was, at least not especially picking balls out of the dirt, but um, I just feel that right-handed, consistent, reliable power bat is, is something that um, they really need to offset a little bit of what uh, the other teams might throw at you. I mean, I know, obviously, Adamas has been huge for them. Garcia's in a little bit of a hot streak again, um, but it just it just feels like that's what they missed, and that's what worries me a little bit. Um, you know, again, rotation, especially the top three guys look great, and Anderson's been pitching really well. Uh, the last few times out, um, you know, the bullpen, you're always going to, to me, you're always going to worry about the bullpen. It was, it was nice to see Williams and Hayter today, um, you know, pretty much lock things down. I mean, there's always, you know, there's always guys on base for, for most of the Brewers relief pitchers, but I, I think that's, you know, that's always a volatile place. I know 2018, we all felt great about it, and, and it actually still hurt them in LCS, so you never know. But um, I, I still just worry about that right-handed power, uh, especially at first base, because I think now they, you know, with the way Tyrone Taylor's been playing the outfield, even without Yelich's, you know, Yelich hitting the way that we hoped he would, um, you know, you have guys out there that are that are uh, producing in the infield. Same thing between Wong and Urias and Escobar and Adamas, you'll get enough there. Obviously, the catchers have been solid. Um, it's just I feel that right-handed power from first base and just some consistency there is is something I would have loved to have seen them try to do at the deadline. I'm sure they explored it a little bit, but. Um, I don't know. It's a minor thing, and is it going to is it going to kill them in the end? Probably not. But I just feel that uh, that's one spot I wish they could have shored up. 
Yeah, I don't think it is a minor thing. And I I was thinking about this because I wish the trade deadline would have been, say, two weeks later. where Because mm. the sample size just wasn't big enough on Rowdy Telez. And with all due respect to the Pittsburgh Pirates, the Pittsburgh Pirates are the Pittsburgh Pirates. <laughs> and, you know, when right. when a guy's going off against them, it's really nice and it's good to see. And, and clearly he had been playing well beyond before that series. But him really going off was in that series. That right. you really still don't know what you have in Rowdy Telez. So if it would have been two weeks later, that would have given them just maybe a little bit more time to get a sense on who he really is going to be down the stretch of the season. Yeah, and maybe they think, okay, we should push a couple more chips in to bring in a guy. You know, I don't know if that ever would have happened. I would have loved to have seen Trey Mancini, and I know he would have cost more, and maybe the Orioles wouldn't have been willing to trade him because he's kind of this, you know, inspirational figure, and, and, and for good reason with him, you know, fighting colon cancer and coming back and having a great year this year. But, you know, even somebody, I know like C.J. Crone's name had come up, and I know he's been having a little bit of an injury issue too, so... To your point, had a little more time to see that. Um, you know, I know Escobar, they're going to try him over there. They have already, but that still worries me. As good as a defensive player he is, first base is still uh, a different beast. It's it's not as simple as everyone likes to, to make it out to be. Like we've talked about before when Hira uh, was going to be going over there to, to give that a shot. So, yeah, I mean, it, again, it's, it's nitpicking a little bit, but... Um, you know, I guess we probably wouldn't be talking about it as much if if Yelich was being more of the Yelich we had seen in the past, and uh, if we felt that 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 consistency would come from elsewhere in the lineup. But you know, um, hopefully, Fales stays hot when he cools off a little bit. Then it's just somebody else picking up that torch, and um, they just find ways every night to be able to put some runs on the board. And with their pitching, I mean, they're gonna they're gonna live and die with the pitching and defense, and uh, that's gonna be fun. It's also gonna be extremely extremely nerve wracking come playoff time. At least with uh, Escobar at first. I mean, if you play third base, you've got you've got a bit of a leg up on trying first base. There's clearly some footwork stuff, some uh, knowing sure. when to when to pursue, when not to pursue. Uh, you know, to, there's a there's a lot of nuanced type things that are that are different at first base. But the the major things, I feel like you'll have a pretty good idea on just being able to be a third baseman going over to first. Yeah, I think that's fair. I mean, definitely, like you said, over over a guy who's only played middle infield. I mean, just even the angle and and the quickness that the ball gets on you. Um, and I think I think it was maybe yesterday. And you know, again, you, you end up being hard on these guys because well, if they're playing that position, then they, they must think they can do well there. And you know, is there a ball that Escobar can't pick that Telez or or a different first baseman gets? Uh, you know, is there a play where he he strays too far off the base to get a ball and they don't get the out there? I mean. You know, in the regular season, over the course of a whole year, those things, you know, they they they're minor in comparison to when you're in that five game series, especially, or even in the seven game series. That man, that one play, those two plays, they hurt you a little bit more. But again, I know Council, especially when it comes to the playoffs, he's gonna he's still gonna favor defense. I think when it comes to the lineup, so you probably see less of that come postseason time, unless it's a you know a major uh, a matchup. Um, edge that the Brewers could get by doing that. So it'll be fun to see. And, and of course, two months from now, again, assuming they're in the playoffs, I mean, things could have changed threefold when it comes to the offense and who's out there and, and you know, God forbid uh, injuries or, or, or multiple injuries that they have to deal with anyway. Rowdy Telez is currently your best defensive first baseman on the roster. Um, yeah, as far as active, for sure. I don't think you can argue that. <laughs> I, go inact. Like, 
I th- and I think Vogelback did fine at first, but I, he to me I think oh yeah no yeah no he's better than Vogelback. The only person I thought was maybe Shaw, and I'm not okay. saying they should even bring Shaw back, you know, to yeah. to uh, have a role unless there's four injuries. But no, that's yeah, fair. I mean, you're right though. I mean, so as and again, I, I think he, he looks smoother than I thought he would, especially picking balls. I, I don't. I have to admit, I didn't know too much about him defensively. I didn't look too much at it, but. uh but yeah, it, you can't. I, I can't argue your point though that, that from what they have on the roster, he, he's it. I am going to be curious to see. You know, you mentioned Travis Shaw. We've mentioned Jace Peterson's currently on the COVID injured list. Um, uh, Daniel Vogelback. It, it, like, there's only 26 spots on the roster, and even when it gets to September, it only goes up to uh, 28. And for a guy like Shaw. He's on the 60-day injury list, so he's not only would he have to be cleared to the 26-man roster, he would have to be cleared to the 40-man roster as well. I always say mm-hmm. these things work themselves out, and I do believe that these things will indeed work themselves out, but at the same time, it does feel like at some point there's going to be some tough decisions to be made. Yeah, and I, I mean, I, in some ways you hope that they do have those tough decisions because it means that they are relatively healthy and, and it's not because they're they're forcing guys into duty. Um, yeah, I think, you know, even when like you said you go to that 28-man roster, you got to assume, uh, unless the rules are set up that I'm, I'm not understanding yet, you got to figure the Brewers are still going to take another pitcher to fill one of those spots. <laughs> That's just kind of the way they seem to run things, and most teams do, obviously. Um, you know, I it's going to come down again to... Um, execution, who's who's really helping the team, who's producing. If guys are close, you know, and Milwaukee's never been shy about, um, you know, utilizing any options that guys have to make sure that they stay in the system, that's understandable. But you have guys like Shaw and Vogelback who those those aren't necessarily options for. So, um, you know, they, they might be the guys on the outside looking in just because you kind of have players already in those positions as far as left-handed bats, guys play first base. Um, so in those cases, you know, I do think Sean of Olgaback could be could be let go in some capacity if if it gets to that point. Um, and you know, again, it, it might be unfortunate, but it also means that the Brewers have the guys out there that are producing and and likely want to have out there come playoff time. The team has dealt with some COVID issues lately. Yelich test positive. Jace Peterson was a close contact. Then Hunter Strickland and Jake Cousins test positive. Uh, Gustave's a, a, a close contact. It, mm-hmm. they, the team did such a good job last year. And, and what's frustrating is a lot of these are breakthrough cases where guys are vaccinated. And I keep reminding people that the vaccination, yes, it does pr- you know help prevent the uh, the coronavirus, but more importantly, if you do have a breakthrough case, the the vaccination reportedly is going to really you know the the symptoms are going to be much less. So it's it's like a human issue and a baseball issue. The baseball issue is you might test positive and you're gonna not, you're gonna miss some games. The human issue is if you test positive and you've had the vaccine, in all likelihood, based off what smart, smarter people than me are saying. Um, that you're gonna, you're not going to have the. It's not going to be as dangerous as it would be if not. But this is a baseball podcast, so from a baseball standpoint, it's clearly very frustrating that we're at a point again where, as this variant is going across the country, it's having a major impact on sports and it's having an impact on the Brewers. Yeah, it's definitely concerning, uh, and selfishly, obviously, as a Brewer fan, you know, seeing it crop up here in uh, you know the last week or so. And then you do think about as you get close to the postseason and playoffs, like, man, you just you hate for that to be the reason. I mean, 
you know, again, injuries happen and, and that can and then happen at any point, but there's something different about it being this type of issue just because it's it's new, it's a little bit random, it's, it's something that, um, you know, you said for the most part it's it's been managed fairly well as far as the brewer side of things go. And it's not to blame anybody because, you know, we don't know the situations, we don't know how people necessarily got it and how it got spread and, and, and that kind of stuff. So, you know, it's not to try to put blame on anyone at all when it comes to that, but, you know, you, with professional sports being what it is and, you know, the, the impact it has on, on cities and people and the money that's involved, you, you just hope and you figure that the players and staff and everyone involved, they're, they're really trying to do everything they possibly can to ensure that, again, looking at from just the baseball perspective, we know about health and safety and that's important, but ensure that you're going to have your players available and that you're doing what you can to protect yourself and others in, in this case because, I know me as a player, like, if you get hurt, you get hurt. There's nothing you do. You might feel bad about it. You might feel like you let, let your team down. Um, but if you or someone else puts you, you in a situation where, you know, you end up having to go on the COVID list or someone else has to because of the close contact or whatever, um, you know, it feels like there's a little more responsibility possibly put on, on that person's shoulders. And, and uh, you know, you just don't know how that affects the team and how it affects morale and, and going into something, especially, again, like the postseason where it really would be um, just – Spotlight would be shining on you and the team. So um, I'm sure I'm sure all teams across Major League Baseball and all different sports they're, they're doing everything they can to make sure that they're they're managing it to the best of their abilities. And, and when you do have a breakthrough case like this or anything like that, um, you know you handle it immediately. Again, from the Brewers' perspective, get the guys away, quarantine them, do all that stuff, and and try to clean that out. And, and hopefully you uh, you know you stay stay healthy and safe and. And uh, it doesn't become uh, an issue that affects the the product on the field because, again, uh, assuming everyone's going to be okay as far as the impact from the the virus itself, um, you would hate for your season to get blown up because of something like this, as opposed to something that happens, you know, quote unquote, on the field. Well, the fact that you only have you, the fact that you have two relief pitchers test positive, and then there's mm-hmm. only one other relief pitcher who's deemed a close contact, to me, I. To, I hear two relief pitchers test positive, and it feels like, well, every relief pitcher should be a close right. contact. The fact that only one yeah. is, to me, that says something about the way the organization is going about trying to be as diligent as possible with this thing. For sure. I mean, we just have to look to last year with you know the Marlins and the Cardinals and how, and obviously it was completely new. We didn't have vaccines, but the way that, you know, weeks of games or were banged and all these guys are, you know, test positive or they're worried about the close contact. So, um, you're right, especially we know how relievers are and they're, they're together a lot and they're in close contact a lot. And, and, and to your point, the fact that it didn't completely blow through the, the Brewers bullpen, at least as of right now, as far as we know, um, that that has to be a positive and saying that, um, you know, what they're doing is working at least to, uh, the best of their ability, and, and um, you know, it was spotted, it was taken care of. The players mentioned the symptoms, because from what I've read, if, if a player is fully vaccinated, they're not tested on the same consistent basis as, as they had been in the past. So, um, you know, if, if they don't report that they're feeling symptoms, then they might have it on, and not know anything, and, and that could cause a, a ripple effect. So um, from what I've read, again, kudos to those guys for, for speaking up and, and taking care of it now, because, again, Missing missing a week, ten days, whatever, um, in the beginning of August is uh, is going to be less impactful, especially when you have the big lead like you've mentioned. Um, than not doing anything about it and somehow causing bigger issues down the road, and and when it really matters most, when you're talking about the postseason. 
obviously the human part of this is more important than the baseball part, but for Christian Yelich, I just have to wonder if you know maybe the Brewers take this opportunity that when he's eligible to come back, because he's going to be out at least a week and a half, instead of immediately activating him to the big league roster, you can put him on a major league rehab assignment. So you can send him mm-hmm. to AAA. He can go play two games there and look at AAA pitching for two days. Maybe, you know, we just saw, I think, Lorenzo Cain coming back and having the impact that he's having, I feel like that's a credit to the extended rehab assignment he had at AAA. And that's not always easy mm-hmm. to ask a veteran player to do, to say, hey, we we want you to go spend a week plus in the minors on a rehab assignment. When you're a player of a certain stature, that doesn't happen. Right. You know, you generally go for like one or two days, and and that's about it. And Craig Council actually talked about that this past week, and he, he actually said that it was more Locaine's idea than anything else for him to spend a fair amount of time at, at, at Nashville, and, and good on him for realizing the impact that that could have. I just have to wonder if uh, if a rehab assignment, because you're on the injured list, I'm not saying send Christian Yelich to AAA, but I'm saying a rehab assignment for a couple, two, three days uh, coming off the COVID list might be just what the doctor ordered for him. I, yeah, I don't see. I don't see why that should be part of the conversation. And you know, I think you can see it from from Yelich in his body language. He's obviously been frustrated. He he he's trying to figure out what's going on, and he can't really figure that out. And, and so maybe you know he'd be very open to that idea. And um, I'm sure I wasn't the only one. At least a part of small part of my brain when uh, when it said that he you know tested positive, that I was like, did he? Or is this a nice way to be able to get him get him a week off? You know, again, they have covered with the outfield. They're producing. Send him on a rehab assignment, like you said, just to sort of, um, you know, maybe work on something he's been trying to work on, clear the head, whatever, just eat more pitches, like you said. Um, so, I, I mean, I could definitely see that. Uh, again, that goes to the fact that, like you mentioned, the Brewers having a lead. They can they could dictate more of this stuff. Um, you know, obviously, he's still been able to produce as far as the on-base percentage goes, but I think we all just see there's just something not right. And, you know, I, of course, everybody's trying to figure, out, figure it out and, Maybe it's just a matter of these last couple of years between his injury and the COVID stuff, and you know it affects everybody differently. Maybe that's been the issue. And if he can kind of get a reset here in August, like you said, kind of you know Lorenzo Kane did, essentially having a almost like an spring training for himself, and um, maybe that is something that helps it click, or he figures something else out, or he just goes up with a different mentality, a different strategy. I mean, at, at this point, you know, I'm sure he's looking for anything to make it work, and, and every player has been through it. Um, it's just, it feels like it's been extended for him, and and maybe just maybe it it becomes a blessing in disguise where where it allows him to to reset, like you said, and um, you know I I wouldn't be surprised that that if that becomes a part of of him coming back and and just making sure that they do everything they can to get his head right. Last thing for you, this past week we saw a situation where Brandon Woodruff had Dansby Swanson struck out. You did not get the he did not get the call from CB Bucknor. Next pitch is a it's not a very good pitch from Woodruff, and it was a really good swing, sure. and it was a home run. I I want to be very clear before having this conversation. There is still a level of culpability for Woodruff because he still threw the next pitch. We're not just blaming everything on umpires. That's not what I'm trying to do here. But at the same time. That pitch should have never been thrown. It was clearly a missed call. I mean, when you got when you got Swanson walking out of the uh, of the of the box and then admitting in yep. post game that that was a strike, he has to say it, or his mom would you know be mad at him. Like that's a 
that's a really big problem. And Brandon Woodruff was really reserved in his comments that he made, but he did say, you know, you can't miss that call in that moment. I know it's the same conversation that everybody keeps having over and over and over, but at some point, doesn't something have to change? For sure. And, you know, I, I've kind of tried to make the same qualifiers even without, you know, throw out a few things on Twitter that I know it's hard. I know it's difficult. Guys are throwing harder than ever before. They got crazy movements. Uh, I get it. I really do. And <laughs> I don't always have the most sympathy for umpires, whether I'm coaching, uh, coaching a team or playing or, or even watching the Brewers play. Um, I think the biggest frustration for me, and, and I, I think nobody just, is really sure are is there any accountability with any of them? No. Is there actually any accountability? You know, and that's I, my biggest frustration are the umpires that everyone knows their name, and it's because they're constantly being put in the spotlight because of of really bad calls and consistently poor judgment when it comes to things. And of course, you throw in the whole replay system, and that's a whole other you know boys club kind of uh, issue with team. But um, you know, I I don't know that I. Yet, 100% backing going to, to robot umpires for the strike zone. I don't know if that fully becomes the answer because you've seen some issues with that at, at you know different uh, area places that they're, they're testing that out. But I think it would really help the players. It would help front offices. It would help the fans to hear or see something from Major League Baseball and, and just to acknowledge some of these things because that's where I think the frustration really comes into play is like, why does this keep happening? And, and, and we hear nothing about that. If you're a, if you're a baseball player and you keep messing up, you get sent down, you get released, you get traded, that kind of stuff. And I'm not saying we should be just cutting off, off all these umpires. Cause you got to have still the, the best guys you can get, but man, the, the, the lack of consistency from especially a handful of, of the umpires, it's uh, it's tough to swallow. And, you know, I, I give Woodruff credit. He tried to be as reserved as possible, uh, you know, and, and hold back a little bit. Um, to your point, he also made a very bad pitch after that, and then he's got to own up to that. But you just don't want to see these type of, of calls and these type of obvious mistakes happen when it matters most, and and uh, and really take it away from the players because, as everyone says, we're not there to see the umpires. They're important in that they they are the arbiters of the game. But uh, when push comes to shove, we, we just I just they have to be better. They have to be better and. And if the guys that are out there right now can't do it, then give, give some other guys a shot. That's all you can really do. Here's what I don't understand. So, so the system as it sits right now with the automated strike zone as it's being used in lower levels, from everything I've read, it is less reliable than the human – like the, across, not, not individually, but when you take every single Major League Baseball umpire as an aggregate sure. sort of thing, they are calling balls and strikes across the board more correctly than the automated strike zone is. Now, there's those you mentioned. We know all their names. We know – we know CB <laughs> Bucknor. We know Jerry West. We know Angel Hernandez. We know Mike Estabrook. Like you know, we know these guys. Um, there's yeah. pro- you know, there's a dozen or so guys that we know, um, and they're not as good as the automated strike zone. But again, most umpires are. What I don't understand, and I'm not a scientist. I'm not an engineer. I'm not a computer person. Like I don't. But I, what I do know is the StatCast data that's being produced instantaneously on every single pitch. You can. If there is a hit by pitch, I can tell you four seconds after the hit by pitch how hard the ball came off of the person being hit. 
It was 12 miles off of his shin. You know, like I can tell you that they know everything. There are gigabytes of data, and I'm not making this up. There are gigabytes of data being sent on a second by second basis. That's how much information is being produced out of every single second of a Major League Baseball game. How in the world do they not have the technology to be able to adjust? You know, the strike zone adjust based off Mm -hmm. the physical characteristics of the batter. How in the world do they not have the technology to follow a pitch into the zone and get it 100% correct? Yeah, I'm with you. I don't, I don't have the answer. I'm not, I'm not smart enough, and, uh, and I, I don't know if there's some uniqueness to you know, how the strike zone is, is supposed to be called. And like you said, how it does change uh, here or there. And you know, I, sometimes when I think about it, it, it amuses me because I think like literally – Baseball, the the most, you know, ball the strikes calls are it's literally an invisible zone that guys are throwing at, and that the hitters are trying to guess essentially where the zone is, and they do a great job of it. It's, it's actually pretty amazing to watch hitters; they know when that pitch misses half an inch off the plate, at least according to uh, you know to the box you'd see on on TV. Uh, you know, lots of guys are it's it's incredible how well they know those zones. Um, so yeah, I, I don't know the answer. Do you go to uh, some video game technology guys, you know, would they have the answer to figure it out the way that they, you know, they, um, they read all the movements of the players for, for MLB, the show is there a way to do that with the uniforms where you're, you know, you have touch points on their, on their body. Does that become some kind of issue? I mean, you, you figure it's got to get better somehow, some way soon. Um, because I, I've heard players, you know, mentioning like there's lots of money involved here and yeah. not on one pitch, but as you said, over the course of a year, you know, if, if uh, you know, your two and a half ERA turns into a four ERA or your, you know, your home run rate goes from uh, 0.8 to 1.2, that can cost you, that can cost you millions depending on who you are. So um, I think it, unless, unless there's something we don't know as far as what they're doing behind the scenes, I, it almost feels like they have to, they have to look at something new and it, maybe it's a way to adjust the strike zone. I wish I had the answers. I don't like talking about it too much because I don't want to take away from the players. But um, yeah, it just seems like every night it's uh, it, it becomes a problem, and at least one game across the league. Yeah, absolutely. He is Tim Muma, contributor, at Brew Crew Ball. Follow him on Twitter at Tim underscore M U M A. Tim, always love the conversation. Next time we have you on, hopefully uh, we're talking uh, postseason baseball for the Brewers. Boy, that would be awesome. There's, there's nothing like postseason baseball in my mind. As much as I loved everything about the Bucks, it would be a million times full if the first got to that level. So um, I'm banking on that. Uh, it's not this year, sometime in my lifetime, please. But yeah. thanks, uh, thanks for having me on, Matt, as always. Tim Muma joining us here on Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast powered by WTMJ Mobile. As that's just about going to uh, wrap things up. Brewers this week have an interesting week because they play three games against Pittsburgh, a not very good Pittsburgh team, and then they play three games against a really, really, really good San Francisco Giants team. Uh, that's going to be fun. Hopefully uh, hopefully, American Family Field fills up coming up on Friday, Saturday, Sunday as people uh, get an opportunity to see. You never know. That could be uh, that could be a preview of the NLCS. That, that is, you know, crazier things have happened. And uh, then the Brewers will hit the road uh, once again for a, for a pretty long road trip after that. So uh, after they play this upcoming Sunday, so a week from the day that I'm recording this podcast, they are then going to go on the road for series against Chicago, Pittsburgh, and St. Louis. They will go from playing a home game on the 8th of August 
to not playing another home game until August 20th. So it's going to be uh, a, a pretty long road trip right there, and uh, we'll see how things play out there. And we'll talk more about that coming up on next week's edition of the podcast. Thank you so much for being tuned in. Thanks to uh, Tim Muma for uh, joining us, and we look forward to talking next week for another edition of Brewers Extraining the Podcast, powered by WTMJ Mobile. Thanks for listening to Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast. Matt will be back next week with another episode. For all the latest Brewers news, keep listening to a home of the Brewers. News Radio 620 WTMJ.